boy. Pop to Molly, we're rolling. Oh yeah, we're 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 rolling so much right now. And by pop to Molly, I mean red ancient communist theory. I don't know about ancient. A hundred years old. Well, I mean, there's stuff that's older, like Mar- like Marx. Ever heard of Marx, Jamie? Oh yeah, I think so. I've been meaning to to get into some of his stuff. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting fellow. Yeah. Oh, God. Ever ever heard of him? Ever heard of Karl Marx, Jamie? Uh, you know, it rings a bell. It rings a bell. I've heard great things. Great things. Great things. Oh, sorry, I'm just like adjusting my microphone because we just got a fancy new setup. Yeah, if you if, if you can't tell, hopefully you can. But if you can't tell, we got a newly upgraded setup we're using some really nice microphones so that you're hearing this podcast in the best quality we can provide that's right and in order to do that we both went deeply into debt now uh but we did spend our own money so i guess this is a good lead in to saying we have a patreon yeah we do we have a patreon and a fans.fm so if you go to patreon.com slash everybody loves communism or fans.fm slash everybody loves communism you can become, you can subscribe and give us money to make sure we're able to continue doing the best job we can, and also giving extra content such as our thought, our cultural theories on cultural Marxism, cultural Marxism, <laughs> which is us Marxists talking about guess what culture. Few few few. Wow. Yeah. And you can listen to episodes like you know what we our opinion on Don't Look Up with Jake Flores. And also the Final Girls podcast and our opinions on House of Gucci. Stuff like that. It's real fun, folks. That's right. And our opinions on secession. It's Oh, yeah. Um, we've done two Adam McKay things now. It's true. I only realized that after the fact. I didn't realize it was the same guy that did succession and uh, don't look up. Yeah. But if you wanted to continue providing you high quality history and theory podcasts, be sure to subscribe. Become yeah. a fan or a Patreon. Yeah, they are high quality. We are just talking before the show about how I'm like, maybe not so good with the self-promotion. I never feel like I'm entitled to do it for whatever reason. And Jorge's like, maybe it's a gender thing. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe it is. So. A little bit. I, I don't I don't feel as, as worried, but maybe maybe that's just a me thing, too. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like... I, I'm just like a selfish little diva, bitchy, like white chick from Connecticut, no matter what I do. So, and this segues to our next thing before we start the show, which is if you feel like we're doing a good job, be sure to rate, rate us five stars and get leave. And even if you feel so comfortable, give us a review on Apple podcasts or Spotify. That's right. And to whoever said that they were really, uh, they really set up to love this show because what did he say? He's like newly radicalized from being a social Democrat. He's like a communist now. And he loves Jamie. That's me, folks. But It is her. But then he listened to our podcast and Jorge was eating in an episode. Apologies, and, uh, everybody. That'll never happen again. And I then promise. he's just like, isn't ever going to listen to it again. I'm like, how much do you love me really, though? But I learned my lesson. This is why reviews exist. I will never... <laughs> ever eat on this podcast no that ever. is a promise from that, both of us that's the elc guarantee uh, nope no more eating that's one of many elc guarantees 100 uh, percent. 
So do you want to start the show, Jamie? Yeah, let's let's do it. So, um, oh, do I do like, I mean, we don't got to say the welcome thing, do we? You want me to say the thing? All right. I'll say the thing. I'll say it. We've been we've been potting, but now we officially are. Uh, hello. Welcome to Everybody Loves Communism, the leftist history and theory podcast where we do the reading so you don't have to. My name is like Jorge that? Rocha. Oh, yeah. And I'm Jamie Peck. Of course, of course. Yeah, and thank you so much for listening. And we're going to begin chapter four All of right. the Dane Revolution, the title of which is Supplementary um, Quotations by, by Engels. Am I, is that correctly the title? I don't remember off the top of my head. Uh, yeah, Supplementary Explanations by Engels. Yeah, and honestly, that's pretty much the, the overview and summary of this chapter. It's kind of like a catch-all you know, miscellaneous uh, excerpts and explanations that Lenin's drawing from angles from a variety of texts on a variety of subjects. Mm-hmm. Some of it being housing, some of it being um, questions regarding organization of the state, regarding, say, you know, economic questions. But they're all somewhat all over the place, but, you know, all part of this larger category of what did Engels believe about the state and the socialist relations to the state. Yeah. So in the rest of this book so far, uh, Lenin is kind of making arguments from authority or what do you call that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like when you're citing some great authority, that's an argument from authority, right? Well, he's not saying that because they said it, therefore, it's just more of like he's making a lot of citations. But it's not I mean, too removed from that. I think it's fair. He's, he's kind of saying because Marx said it, like, obviously, you have to pay attention to it because Marx is kind of like Jesus in his world <laughs> a little bit, you know? So, I mean, I it, it's a separate um, get it right, Jamie. The science of Marxism-Leninism is that Lenin is Jesus. I mean, the, the Father, Son, right. and Holy Spirit is, you got Father, Marx, Holy Spirit is, is you know, Engels, and in, the Son is Vladimir Lenin. See, this is why we have a Jew and a Gentile on this show, because <laughs> you know stuff like that, and I don't. Um, I, listen, Jamie, I'm also Jewish. All right. I forgot you did a 23 in me. You got the blood quantums. I know. I have I'm Ashkenazi. Um this is my big reveal to everybody that yes, I am Jewish. Wow. Wow. So many so many of us. 1%, but it's running there. Running around. That must be why you are also a god-hating communist. Are you are you saying a are, are you saying a are you saying a cultural bolshevism point? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. You know, I'm going to turn off the heater because I just made it warm in here and now I'm warm. How do you feel about that? <laughs> okay. Ah. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yes. Um, Jorge is part Jewish. I'm part Mexican. Just kidding. Um, don't want to don't want to Rachel Dolezal myself on that. You are not part Mexican, but, but you uh, you are. I, I still consider you, you know, in terms of this, your deep appreciation of Mexico, that in my opinion, you are someone that I consider kinfolk. Oh, that's real, real sweet. Real sweet. Maybe someday we can go to your homeland together. Hopefully someday soon. Maybe someday. Uh, but anyway, um, where am I going with this? So, yeah. Um, section one. Section. So, okay, we're doing chapter four. Yeah. <laughs> State and Rev. So the rest, of the, the rest of the book, Lenin's been like, oh, here's what Marx had to say about this. So, like, everyone, 
I mean, he's he's not just pulling it out of his ass for no reason, right? Because a lot of these social Democrats, these Kautskyites that he's arguing against have been using Marx and distortions of Marxism to try to back up their shitty politics. Mm -hmm. So he's like, no, no, no. You know, you got to fight fire with fire. You got to fight Marx with Marx. He's like, let's go back to the text and see what the fuck he actually had to say about this and why why they're misinterpreting it. Um, So now he's doing the same thing with Daddy Engels in this chapter, which is like sort of a little bit random and a little bit repetitive, I'm going to say, but... You know what? He had a bunch of shit going on, so I I can't fault him too much for having a for needing an editor. Oh my God, Pugsley's being so cute. She's so in the Frida spot. Okay, Frida, Pugsley, we'll pet you afterwards. This is very important business we're doing right now. Um, so yeah, uh, at parts he does get a little repetitive. Uh, this isn't my favorite chapter. I'm gonna say his. Uh, Jamie hated the chapter. I really didn't like it that much. He destroyed it in the notes. Everybody. I'm like pretty. I'm like pretty over it now. Um, his. I mean, mainly his. Uh, his issues with the anarchists are just like so fucking straw manny and disingenuous. And like, I wasn't really. Well, all right. I'm. We'll get into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk get, about it. We'll get into it. So, the first part of this chapter is called the housing question. And it opens with a quote from Engels. You know, might as well talk about housing in the middle of this thing. Why not? Um, Tenant unions. Joking. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is definitely a thing on a lot of people's minds right now. Absolutely. But that's not quite what Engels said. Not, no. what, what, what did Engels say, Jamie? He said, and I quote, and Lenin quotes, how is the housing question to be settled then? In present-day society, it is settled just as any other social question. By the gradual economic leveling of demand and supply, a settlement which reproduces the question itself again and again, and therefore is no settlement. So, translation, I'm going to say, is that the market demonstrably is not solving this problem of how to house people. And that is still true. Hmm, Interesting. Even truer now than it used to be then, I'm going to say. Okay. So then he continues... Quote, how a social revolution would settle this question not only depends on the circumstances in each particular case, but is also connected with much more far reaching questions. One of the most fundamental of which is the abolition of the antithesis, the antithesis between town and country, which is pretty fucking fascinating. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I want to hear more about that. But then Engels pulls back yeah. like a lot of Marxists do when they're getting, you know, they think they're getting ahead of themselves. And right. he says, uh, quote, as it is not our task to create utopian systems for the organization of future society, it would be more than idle to go into the question here. OK, then why bring it up? Clearly, you wanted to talk about it. Uh, I feel like a lot of a lot of communists have all these ideas swirling around in their heads for how we could do like a really cool future world. But then, oh, they're all too afraid of being accused of utopian idealism to say them. Uh, so they they just like sort of half say them. I think I think part of that. So it's a little there's a little sympathy I have, but also, you know, to your point, Jamie, you know, a bit of sympathy is like I think he's kind of hedging his bets a bit. He doesn't want to like say something that he may not know as much about or feel like it's not his place to say. But, you know, gotta, 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 gotta think positive here. Like we, we're, we do a lot of negative thinking, a lot of, you know, we're against a lot of stuff, but what are we for? 
Well, um, Engels was about to say what he was for, but then he stopped himself. But then he kind of starts again. Quote, he says, but one thing is certain. See, he can't help it. None of us can, (laughs) which is uh, and I think that's fine. P.S. I'm like all about putting some visions on our communist vision board. And if you're interested in hearing more about that, well, stay tuned because soon we'll be talking about utopian socialism. Oh, hell yeah. Good tie in, Jorge. You are very good at this. Thank you so much. This this promo shit. Okay. Um, He goes on. But one thing is certain. There is already a sufficient quantity of houses in the big cities to remedy immediately all real housing shortage. Puts housing shortage in scare quotes. Provided they are used judiciously. This can naturally only occur through the expropriation of the present owners and by quartering in their houses, homeless workers or workers overcrowded in their present homes. As soon as the proletariat has won political power, such a measure prompted by concern for the common good will be just as easy to carry out as our other expropriations and billetings by the present day state. Um, so, yeah, I. I'm a little I'm a little bummed he doesn't want to talk about commie future world, uh, but then he does it a little bit anyway. So I'm just wondering, like. If there's some arbitrary number of years into the future where uh, something stops being materialist and starts being utopian. Um, it's a, it's far enough into the future where I don't like the person. That's what it is. Mm, okay. If, if, if it's someone I don't like, everything they're saying into the future is utopian idealism. Uh-huh. And if it's something that I do like, that I like them, then yeah. it's, and it's scientific materialism. Yeah, same. I would say, yeah, that's about what I've got to. Yeah. Um, no, I mean, in, in a more in a more serious capacity, and you know, for those who are listening who didn't understand the joke, it's more that's like uh, more of like a, uh, a not just a, like Lenin, but also a lot of Marxists have this tendency to refer to things of like, oh, bad is utopian, bad is idealistic, good is scientific, good is materialist, because it's like a kind of an almost obsession over these terms that are thrown around almost dogmatically. Mm-hmm, I would mm-hmm. say almost, because I would say that's not quite exactly what it is, but it can be in many directions. Yeah, it can be like sort of a sort of an ad hom attack that everyone throws at everyone else when they disagree, and then it kind of ceases to mean anything. Yeah, for but, sure. Um, but, you know, in a more serious answer, I think a it, this, this is the kind of issue where you can't, separate the material conditions of what's going on in a specific society and generalize it for all societies because how the future like say future socialism in say New York City right would look dramatically different than say just even stay in the same country like say Ohio or like Montana right because those are very different well. Material conditions. That's why we need to abolish this just the 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 distinction between town and country. It's true. It's true. No, I mean, I think and but see, that's and kinda, create but, a one world government, folks. <laughs> we're talking about a global dictatorship of the proletariat. Mm-hmm. I mean, literally. Yeah. <laughs> just but unironically. Yes, NWO. We're we're calling for a new world order right now. You heard it here, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Alex Jones was right. We're here to bring global communism and you're going to take it and you're going to like it. That's that's the idea. So, um, yeah, anyway, Lenin starts talking now and he points out that, quote, the change in the form of state power is not examined here, but only the content of its activity. 
expropriations and buildings take place by order even of the present state. So this is me now talking. We're talking about something the state not only could hypothetically do, but actually does in a slightly different way, right? In the current day, anytime it, uh, like the state has the power to expropriate, right? It has the power to seize property, has the power to tax, it has the power to do uh, eminent domain or whatever, um, as well as billeting. And what that means, I, I feel like I've said it a few times, I need to define it, Um What that means historically is the state coming in and telling someone that they have to quarter soldiers in their house. And this was apparently a big enough deal back then that they made the Third Amendment about it when they founded America. So I guess our founding fathers were not big fans of it. Well, I mean, that makes sense due to one fact. They were the bourgeoisie of America. Yeah, they didn't want, you know, they had like a lot of nice shit in their houses. They didn't want all those troops coming in and like putting their feet up on the fucking 19, not 19th 18th. century, 18th century furniture, you know, that shit's expensive. And the other thing too is, um, you know, a good example, and people don't know this, but um, George Washington was one, if not the most wealthiest man in America. Makes sense. I mean... <laughs> and then he was the head honcho. Woo, folks. Look, as has been said by me and others in other places, uh, only people who are used to having a king would ever come up with the idea of presidents. It's true. No, it's it's so true. Mm-hmm. But, but, I mean, going back to the text, I mean, I think this goes back to something that, you know, has been mentioned before and uh, and in other in other contexts but maybe not not so much in in this podcast but it, when regarding expropriation when people in, in this course when people talk about like how that is something that you, well why would you want to expropriate against the wealthy and then people typically use the language of like oh well that's violent or just stealing well the fact of the matter is they're right that is what it is but the fact of the matter is is well, is this something should someone have 20 homes, for instance, when people are on the street, right? Yeah. That, that's essentially what we're talking about. So, yeah. And not to mention, how did they get more shit than other people to precisely. begin with? Precisely. A little thing called primitive accumulation, which wasn't not stealing. Yeah, it was already stolen. It's just a matter of stealing it back. Yep, that's right. The world is ours, but it's been stolen. Yep. So, yeah, Lennon continues. From the formal point of view, the proletarian state will also order the occupation of dwellings and expropriation of houses. But it is clear that the old executive apparatus, the bureaucracy, which is connected with the bourgeoisie, would simply be unfit to carry out the orders of the proletarian state, right? So a state that exists to serve the bourgeoisie is never going to expropriate their houses and give them to other people to live in or force them to take in homeless people into their homes. Makes sense, right? You need a different kind of apparatus that's uh, controlled by the workers. Yeah. The people who, yeah, the, the workers, or as we will now call them, the people who are, who are supporting the new world order, global government, the globalist, everybody. That ass, the globalists. Um, so yeah, the, this new state's going to do like similar kinds of shit, but for different people, for different ends. So then he drops another Engels quote in here in which he compares his plan to solve the housing question 
and the means of production question, which I guess the housing question is sort of a subset of it, right? Um, yeah. Yes and no. Housing, reproduction, production. It's all part of one closed yeah. system, true. Yeah. folks. Um, so uh, now he, yeah, he compares, Engels compares his, uh, his little non, non-programmatic program with the Proudhonists' plans to uh, to solve these questions. Note, Proudhon died in 1865, and there were a lot of new strides made in anarchist thought between then and 1917. So I'm not really sure how relevant his ideas on housing were. Well, a lot to, of anarchist uh, practices that happened occurred between then. We, we'll talk about them other time. Yeah, yeah. A lot of shit anarchists did. Yeah. So shout so, out to them. Yeah, so I'm not sure how relevant... Um, Proudhon's ideas are to the context in which State and Rev is being written. But you know what? This isn't going to be the first time that Lenin is shady with the anarchists. So let's let's fucking go. Lenin do be hating on anarchists. Yeah, dude. So much. So the Engels quote, he says, quote, It must be pointed out that the actual seizure of all the instruments of labor, the taking possession of industry as a whole by the working people is the exact opposite of the Proudhonist redemption. In the latter case, the individual worker becomes the owner of the dwelling, the peasant farm, the instruments of labor. In the former case, the working people remain the collective owners of the houses, factories, and instruments of labor, and will hardly permit their use, at least during a transitional period, by individuals or associations without compensation for the cost. In the same way, the abolition of property and land is not the abolition of ground rent, but it's transfer, if in a modified form, to society. The actual seizure of all the instruments of labor by the working people, therefore, does not at all preclude the retention of rent relations. Now, I should note that the anarchist view is not generally one of personal ownership of the means of production, but of collective ownership, basically what Lenin claims to believe in himself when he talks about centralism and the dictatorship of the proletariat. Um, Also, it's kind of strange to hold up Proudhon here because he was against expropriation, which seems like that should be the primary thing that Lenin comes at him for. I would certainly come at him for that. Um, But he... Proudhon was a little wacky. In terms of his, like he was definitely a forerunner of anarchism, not not the end all be all. Yeah, um, and and I was trying to find what this program, this redemption program, was that uh, Engels was railing against, and I'm gonna be honest, didn't get that far. But I did find out that uh, Proudhon believed that the only justifiable rent paid to landlords was um, the amount it would take to compensate them for their buildings that they owned. At which point, the workers would own them. Uh, also, Proudhon supported some kind of individual agriculture, but not as ownership, more like management or possession. So I'm not really sure what exactly the point is of going in against Proudhon here. Um, but Engels is super, super sure that the workers would rather not cancel rent and let in sides with him. I'm not sure about that, Chief. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'd rather not pay rent. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but I'd rather not pay rent. Like, Same. I would not. Same. <laughs> like, what's the fucking point of any of this if we still have to pay rent? Come on. I mean, at least, like, lower it a bit. 
like, <laughs> yeah. like, like I'm not like we can we can like, this is you know this is something you know I want nothing. You say you should not stop. Let me in the middle. I pay half than what I used to. That that's something, sure. right? Sure. So yeah, Lennon says we're going to come back around to the idea of the economic basis for the withering of the state later on. Um, all right, sidebar. But then he says kind of the opposite of what I just said about Engels, claiming that Engels is writing most cautiously when he says that the workers would not want to cancel rent or I guess just be given houses. I do. I want a house. No just strings to attached. Get, I, listen, if anyone listening is, has a free house they want to give me, ideally in a New York City metropolitan area, <laughs> be sure to DM ELC pod at twitter.com and we I'll gladly take it. Yeah, be sure to CC at Jamie Elizabeth as well as at line goes down just to make sure we see it. Yes, please, please, please. Kami Castle 2022. Let's fucking go. Um, so yeah, not so sure about that one. Um, then he says something which is obviously true, which is that if all of these collectively owned dwellings are gonna be allotted out to individual families who are all paying rent on them that has to get collected, that's going to require some form of state. It's obviously true. Quote, but it does not at all call for a special military bureaucratic apparatus with officials occupying especially privileged positions. All right. I feel like officials kind of always occupy privileged positions by definition, but um, whatever. I mean, both both plans. I'm not really sure what the difference is at this point between. It's, it's a little. You thought, whenever Lennon talks this way, I always feel like he's trying to have his cake and eat it too. You know, I personally am somebody that like you know because I'm sympathetic to Lennon a lot of his argument. I would just just take take it on the nose and be like, yeah, there's going to be a period where people are going to be more privileged than others yeah. because that's part of the transitional period. Yeah. If you take it on the nose, yeah, you, just say it. Just come out with it, man. It, but the thing is, that's honest, right? Yeah. And it's like you know. And then you have to deal with those contradictions. Well, this is, we're going to get to this in the next section. So let's, let's remember this because yeah. this is sort of a thing that he does over and over again when he's going hard against the anarchists. He wants to make it about one thing when it's actually about another thing. Mm, okay. And the thing that he doesn't want to talk about is the anarchist critique that a state is going to perpetuate class society. So just keep that in the back of your mind Okay. for the next section. I, okay. So where am I? Um, yeah. Like the anarchist plan for collective ownership of dwellings is like actually pretty similar. I think it's just ruled by a federation of sorts, not a central committee controlled by one party. Well, Jamie, he, uh, Lenin and Engels, well, he's Lenin, uh, Engels according to Lenin rallies against federation in the section i cover so oh boy oh so, boy so we'll get spoiler we'll, alert we'll get to that all right so what else does he say as for the rent uh here we go uh the rent which would you know go to paying for the upkeep of the houses i guess uh it seems like that would be replaced in the anarchist plan by everyone just like voluntarily kind of doing the work uh in free association but um you know like it's got to come from somewhere so um more quotes, though. More quotes I have here. Uh, the transition to a situation in which it will be possible to supply dwellings rent-free depends on the complete withering away of the state, says Lenin. And I'm like, all right, tell me more. Tell me more about this. Um, I want to know. 
But instead of elaborating, he kind of pivots to saying something he's already said a bunch of times. This is a little weird. I mean, I actually kind of agree with the argument a bit, but it's, you got to elaborate. You can't just like, oh, anyway, just moving along. Yeah. Because like, I actually do agree with this conclusion because if you're just happy, say you have the, they have like in the event to, uh, tomorrow and then like it, then you're in charge of things. These, you still have to be maintaining of these, of the houses somehow with like the, the, the remnants of the former system. And then you'll transition to it to be rent free. But you gotta say that. You can't just like yeah. just like assume the the readers is gonna enter, get that from reading it. Because yeah, I'm certainly haven't. I mean, look, if the worker state is really just the workers organized as the ruling class, wouldn't they just be passing money back and forth from one hand to the other? Like it seems like there's something else going on here. Aha! Uh-huh, but isn't that what we do anyway? The dum with our system, it just gets caught in the hands of the bourgeoisie. I mean, now, no, we're giving it from our hands to theirs. That's what I'm saying. It, it just goes all, one way. It just goes one way. They're not giving it back. Yeah, so it's just that's the thing. It's always it's always happening. It just it just it just gets stuck in one place. Yeah, I mean, I guess workers paying rent to themselves is still better than workers paying rent to landlords. Yep. yep. But also seems kind of fucking pointless. Um, and it reminds me of a bunch of stuff we talked about in the Jasper Burns episode on critique of the Gotha program mm. but uh and be you sure know to what? check that episode out yeah y'all can listen to that if you want to know what the fuck i'm talking about right now um it just it just popped back into my head think you'll, you'll you'll get it you'll get it if you listen i promise yeah and if you pay on patreon you'll be able to listen to that episode oh you know what i think that episode is actually free is it yeah i think that was maybe the first or second time that aaron and i did a bonus back when i was doing the Shout show out with to aaron, aaron. Shout out to Aaron. You know who you are. <laughs> I hope you're listening. Uh, but yeah, I think Aaron wanted to make that one free. So I think it's free. Don't quote me on that. Well, be sure to check it out. Yeah, check it out regardless. Um, so yeah, so he doesn't really elaborate. He just kind of pivots to saying the same thing he's already said. Quote, speaking of the Blanquist's adoption of the fundamental position of Marxism after the commune, and under the influence of its experience, Engels in passing formulates this position as follows, quote, necessity of political action by the proletariat and of its dictatorship as the transition to the abolition of classes and with them of the state. Like, dude, all right, you said that, Marx said that, now you're showing Engels said it, cool, man. Uh, So again, he says that some people, uh, I think the people he's referring to are revisionists, Kautskyite Sokdems. Edward Bernstein, those fellows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they think that this is the same as the anarchist viewpoint, but it's not because Engels and Lenin believe in taking longer to do the same thing. This is where I'm kind of like, I'm willing to take Lenin and his word, but because he keeps saying it, now I'm just getting curious. Did they really say that? I'm just now curious. I'm just left with that curiosity of, did these people really say that that's the same position as the anarchist position? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I also want to know what the anarchist position really was, because I feel like it's not, you know, um, the withering of the state should be achieved to full communism overnight by Proudhon, you know? Right. Like, I feel like there's 
a little more disagreement here than Lennon is willing to address. So, yeah, the word he cites from Engels' anti-during here, where he draws a distinction between himself and the anarchists, is that he doesn't believe the withering of the state can be achieved, quote-unquote, overnight. So I want to know a little more about this. I'm like, is this one of those things where, you know, by the magic of dialectics, uh, quantity becomes quality, where, you know, in this case, people who want to achieve communism in one night or less are dumb and wrong, and the people who want to do it in anywhere from two to infinity nights are smart and correct. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what it is, Jamie. I don't know. It's like, take this quiz to see if you're a communist or an anarchist. How many nights do you think it should take to achieve communism? Another quiz Check is, one box. Another quiz is found at comradefeed.com. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, obviously what's happening here actually is he's being a little bit circumspect because... I don't know of any anarchists who've argued that that could be achieved literally in one night. And I also don't know any Leninists who've argued it can be achieved in two nights. Um, I think there's a little more going on there um, in terms of what the state is and does um, and the concerns over uh, not just the time frame, obviously, but the uh, the way of going about it, the mode of achieving communism and the organization of the government, you know, is it a decentralized democratic federation of workers councils or so or Soviets, a union of Soviets, if you will, or is it a centralized one party uh, rule over not just whatever remains of the uh, bourgeoisie, because, you know, hypothetically, once you win the war, they're gone. Um, it also rules over the workers. So it's not just a dictatorship of the proletariat that we're talking about, folks. It's a dictatorship of the party over the proletariat and, you know, over production, which I think judging from some things that happened after Lenin came to power was kind of a valid fear. Well, what I would say here is the positions that the, what the anarchists had the position that the Social Democrats had, and also other contemporaries at the time, we will be reading more in the future to know what was actually said, and you'll hear it here first on Every Bill of Communism. That is so true. That is so true. Okay, so he goes on. Controversy with the anarchists is the next part. So yeah, in this part, Lenin sets out to prove for once and for all that he is not an anarchist, because as everyone knows, that is the worst thing that you could possibly be. Uh, he's proven it. It is. <laughs> he's proven it by talking about a disagreement that Marx and Engels had with the French anarchist Proudhon and his followers. Again, a really long time before this was written. And a lot of things happened in anarchism since then. Um, some pretty cool stuff, you know, to buy my joke about shitting on anarchists, there was some pretty cool stuff that anarchists look some up. Cool look, shit. That's look, when they invented the circle A. Yeah, I mean, look, look that up. That you all drew in your notebooks just, just as teenagers. Up, just look up what anarchists did in from 1870 to pretty much until the Bolshevik Revolution and the stuff they did. Ever heard of Franz Ferdinand? Yeah. Guess what? <laughs> Guess who did that one? McKinley? They ever heard of that one? Off to cap in his ass. Psh, 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 psh. Yep. Czar Alexander II. Guess what, folks? He got murked. They all, yeah, no. Propaganda of the deed was definitely, definitely a thing. Um, Arguably, that was the predominant um, 
social movement, like left social movement at that time in terms of like getting stuff done. Mm-hmm. Um, the late 19th century, early 20th century, until pretty much the Bolshevik Revolution changed things. Yeah, like well, they helped get Democrats. that done too. Folks, <laughs> I'm just saying, gotta gotta be aware of what's going on. And, you know, I'm sympathetic to Lenin from a theoretical point of view, but, you know, all anarchist comrades do do some great stuff out there. There we go. Very diplomatic. So, yeah, um, Lenin's going in hard. He's quoting an 1873 article by Marx and Engels, once again, saying, quote, if the political struggle of the working class assumes revolutionary form, wrote Marx, ridiculing the anarchists for their repudiation of politics. (laughs) Yeah. Damn, dude. Tell me how you really feel. Quote. And if the workers set up their revolutionary dictatorship in place of the dictatorship of the bourgeoisie, they commit the terrible crime of violating principles for in order to satisfy their wretched, vulgar, everyday needs and to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie, they give the state a revolutionary and transient form instead of laying down their arms and abolishing the state. What is going on in that quote? Yeah. So once again... um, I'm not really sure what anarchists they're talking about that are in favor of laying down their arms. Uh, I mean, yeah, Proudhon, the super old original guy, maybe the first anarchist we could say to call I mean, himself one. Well, he was, no, that, he no, had some wacky ideas. Well, Proudhon and Bakunin, maybe. But again, maybe if Mark, like, if this is what Mark was talking about, sure. Again, this is not a suggestion that that is what they believed. But let's say that was what they believed. That was 40 years ago, dude. Like, are people saying that then? I don't know. No. He's not referencing anyone else apart from, like, Proudhon and, like, like that's it. He's not referencing to, like, contemporaries of his time. Well, it's also weird because in other parts of this very same text, he gives the anarchists props for understanding the need for violent revolution. So it's like, which is it, man? I think it's hard to dunk on Lenin a bit too much because he was writing this on the run. That's 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 my take. Mm. He just need, he needed to sit down more and needed an editor. Maybe and tone it down a bit. I don't know. He was. I mean, he was smart. I feel like he's being a bit of a bit of a sophist here. Like he defines the state in a bunch of different ways. Like he sometimes defines it as just the very act of forming any kind of people's militia and having a revolution and he uses that to own the anarchists and be like see we believe the same thing but if you believe the same fucking thing then like what's the problem dude the state is one i do one if a worker state is when it does good things and a and a and a bourgeois state is when it does bad things i think i think that's what we're finding throughout this text so i mean that's what i believe yeah <laughs> I mean, probably, you know, I'm not sure if that really holds up, but let's continue and maybe we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out together. Yeah. So us two and the listeners. Yeah. Like I, (laughs) it's like, what's a worker state? I know it when I see it. It's, it's the one that I like. That is actually my definition. Oh my God. Well, no, not one that I like. It's just, uh, I'll know it when I see it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I think that definition might run into some problems, but uh, let's let's keep going and maybe we'll maybe we'll find out. So, quote, Lenin is talking now. He said, 
It was solely against this kind of abolition of the state that Marx fought in refuting the anarchists. He did not at all oppose the view that the state would disappear when classes disappeared or that it would be abolished when classes were abolished. What he did oppose was the proposition that the workers should renounce the use of arms, organized violence, that is, the state. Again, that's, you know, his definition that he's using here. He defines it differently in other places. Uh, It's pretty crystal clear. I don't know what you're talking about, Jamie. Which is to serve to crush the resistance of the bourgeoisie. That's a worker state. It's doing good stuff. Okay. Okay. Um, Well, what are the criteria for knowing when the bourgeoisie has been crushed? Is all organized violence necessarily a state or is there a little more to it than that? And what about why doesn't he talk about the state like bossing around the workers? Because it definitely does that, too. Like any struggle, this this thing, this revolutionary situation, that's obviously going to wither away as you win. But I think, yeah, maybe it is partly a time frame question. Yeah, it's mean, like once you win, what's left? Who's being bossed around by the state? It's the workers. More seriously, to be fair to Lenin, I think an important aspect of that question about, you know, when, wh- at what point is like the state withering away, it's important to reckon with like the historical context that at that point, there was not really ever been a kind of systematic attempt at a worker state. The things that people point to were like these flashes in the pan insurrectionary moments like kind of like the Paris Commune so there was no real like structural attempt at creating a state that was like a worker state of what kind so we are we we have the privilege of history of we've seen a lot of these experiments kind of come and go and still you know existing as as they are with different kinds of levels of successes and contradictions in our own in this real world that we're living in right now in 2022 when this is being recorded you know that's like an important aspect that we 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 have aware and so it's easier for us to to know but also regarding your question about the state bossing around workers we know how that's played out a lot and so we are we thought about that i think you know it's it's a bit we have to remember that that it's like that's kind of like he wasn't thinking that far ahead because maybe he didn't have the imagination to think that far ahead. Yeah. He, never, he didn't have anything else to be basing himself off of. I'm just wondering if he means all of this stuff or not, right? Because what do you mean? if Lenin was just kind of knowingly bullshitting us from the beginning bullshitting on how? a lot of this stuff about like, like the, the thing he says next here where he repeats himself again, you know, emphasizing that he agrees with the anarchists on the end goal, but just not how to get there. Okay. Um, I'm not, sh- I'm like 50, 50 on whether I believe him well, about that. We'll read the quote. Um, quote, after overthrowing the yoke of the capitalists, should the workers quote, quoting Marx now lay down their arms or use them against the capitalists in order to crush their resistance. But what is the systematic use of arms by one class against another, if not a transient form of state? Note, uh, contemporary anarchists, once again, were not advocating laying down the arms. Uh, They understood the need for revolution. Um, And I think this is, again, this is a mind fuck. Because like I said, uh, you know, once you overthrow the yoke of the capitalists, who do you need a state to beat into submission? And, you know, again, he's defining the state downwards as basically any kind of organized revolutionary violence when the state does a bunch of other shit, including, you know, in the case of an isolated socialist state like the Soviet Union was, um, 
you know, taking the place of the capitalists, managing production, telling workers what to do, what's going to get made, how much of it, developing the economy, allocating surplus value. Um, and in, in Lenin's Russia, the party took the place of the Soviets, of the workers' councils in doing this. So I'm just wondering, like, is he kind of a cynical opportunist from opportunist? That's a strong word. I'll, I'll I'll take that back for the sake of our Leninist comrades. I'll be nice. But was he like sort of a power hungry cynic from the beginning or and he's just like saying this stuff to get people on his side or or was he really sincere in believing this is how you get communism and it just, you know, went off the rails because it turned out to be a bad strategy. I feel like the second one is scarier to me as someone who also wants communism because it shows you can have all the best ideas and all the best intentions and then, you know, shit happens. And before you know it, you're doing some kind of authoritarian state capitalism. I think it's the latter personally. Yeah. yeah. But, oh, boy. I th- but I mean, I, well, based on what we know about Lenin's life and then when we get to talking about Lenin more systematically, we'll get into his own life as well. Cause I think it's quite fascinating. Um, I also think it's a little bit of a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, yeah. because Lenin was, and was, I'm quoting from um, uh, Princeton historian Stephen Kotkin, who's like known known as like the big biographer of Stalin, who's like now finishing up the third book of this trilogy of a biography on Stalin, where he kind of views like, you know, this is basically the the way he kind of conceptualizes Lenin as like Lenin was the ultimate like pragmatist like he will compromise all his values to then realize his values like mm. in the sense that he believed everything he said but was willing to compromise everything to then realize them later hmm. and yet unfortunately that did not work i mean he died i mean yeah that's also, that's also that factor he too. also died but it didn't work you know it didn't work in I mean, the end. I mean, <laughs> it, did, it he, just didn't he, work. I mean, he did do the revolution and that and seize power. So I think in that sense, he was right. I mean, as as Beanie Adamchak said when she came on the Antifada, the October Revolution was the Bolsheviks were victorious, but they were not successful. And I kind of agree with that. Well, they were. Well, how about we do not talk and litigate the history of the fair, of, of the Bolshevik fair. Revolution and the early Soviet Union we'll in this episode? We'll do that in another episode. It's yes. history. Yes. This is theory, folks. And when, in that episode, we'll be sure to go in depth and talk about it at length. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. So, yeah, he quotes Engels picking on Proudhon some more, saying the anarchists claim to be against authoritarianism. But they're fine with having foreman or whatever in the case of like a complicated task or factory or whatever. And just calling it something different doesn't make it different, you stupid anarchists. Which like, all right. I Again, I'm not sure how it helps his case in a section where he says how he's different from the anarchists to say, oh, actually, we believe the same thing. Uh it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, also, I'm kind of on the anarchist side here. Like, does the conductor of an orchestra have the same power over the musicians as like the fucking state? Or is he just kind of helping coordinate everything they're doing? But again, um, not sure how worthy of engagement Lenin's critiques of the anarchists are in this particular chapter. I agree with the point, but I think that 
the way he went about it was in probably one of the worst ways, personally. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll take it. Because it's basically the the classic libertarian socialist claim of like justified authority. Yeah. But it just but he just says, Oh, ha ha ha, you to believe against that, you but yet you are for, say, you know, oh, a scientist who knows a lot about that, you're gonna defer to them. Yeah. Ha ha ha. But like that's basically what they're getting at. But and hence why and it's like, well we believe almost the same thing, which is disagree on like tactics. So that's, so in that sense, that's why that's that's why I think that. But he went about it in the wrong, in probably one of the worst ways. And also, he just can't help himself. He just loves to fight. He loves to fucking like, fight. He, like you knew. I I don't know this for a fact, but I have a sense that he, when he was younger, he liked to go. He would like to go to bar fights. I, 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 like I, he was scrappy. I feel I I I get that vibe from him. You think he would just like pick a fight? With not, some- not, not to pick a fight. Some poor little anarchist, and then just like kick the guy's ass. Not to pick a, I don't think he would pick a fight, but if it came down to it, he would be down. He'd be so happy. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of get that vibe. He's pugnacious. Comes out, it comes through in the writing, right? Um, Which is you know a little bit respectable, but again, it can it can be a bit over overbearing. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll agree with that. I'm just I'm just getting annoyed with this chapter. This is when like. I had to take a really long break and stop taking notes because I'm like, God damn it, Lennon. Like, <laughs> if you supposedly agree with the anarchists about these things, but you're just using different words, like, what is the actual critique of the anarchist position? And, you know, if they do want different things, why won't you defend the position the anarchists are criticizing and say, like, address the actual thing? And if you really believe the same thing, why not just fucking hug it out? And, you know, join forces with them instead of calling them names and, uh, you know, sending the Cheka to kill them and put them in jail. I will say Lennon would have been incredible at Twitter. <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe none of that. No, maybe the Cheka wouldn't have happened. Maybe if he had a better outlet to get out his uh, his owns at the anarchists. You've just been like dunk and then quote retweet like ratio plus you're bald plus you're stupid plus I didn't read. <laughs> Pretty much. That's pretty much what he's saying here. And that's pretty much what, you know, basically the same thing when you send the check after somebody. You're just doing that IRL. It's like a it's like a, <laughs> a dunk IRL. I don't know if that's exactly what the, the same s- thing, but sure, it's the go off. Exact same thing. So yeah. Dana, are you saying that getting canceled <laughs> is the same thing as being killed? Wow. You're getting canceled IRL. Wow. Which is more serious. One is more serious. Jamie Peck joins the University <laughs> of Austin. Oh, dear. Oh, geez. Wow. Wow, man. I Now I'm I'm canceling myself. You heard it here, folks. It, it, we're, we're, listen, we're announcing <laughs> the newest faculty of the University of Austin, Jamie Peck. That's me. It me. I'm friends with Barry Weiss now. I'm living in opposite world. Everything is strange. Um, Jamie. Yeah, that's that's me. That's my black swan. You're 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 rather than being an and calm, you're 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 like a, sta- a hardcore state capitalist. Like you think Singapore's awesome. You, you- yeah. I mean, that still wouldn't get me to like being friends with Barry Weiss. Like. It's a step in that direction. I mean, I'm just viewing the opposite of you, what you believe. I mean, I feel like the opposite of what I believe would be like, 
I don't know. I'm a fucking capitalist. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Like state, like hardcore state capitalist, Singapore. Not state capitalist. Private capitalist. Right. But what I'm saying is like you're, you're, you're state phobic, Jamie. Well, that's true. A little bit, a little bit. Um, yeah, no, reading, honestly, after reading his arguments against anarchists in this section, I'm like, Maybe I should add the anarcho prefix back to my back to my tendency <laughs> because that's how like that's how annoyed I am. Lenin made you run run back to anarchism. Yeah, like I really I was really trying to kind of walk the line, walk the fence a little bit, but now I'm like, hmm, maybe you're dumb and the anarchists were right. I don't know. Um, yeah, so I'm getting a little sick of this section, as I think you can tell, but I'm gonna try to keep going because that's our job. <laughs> to get through this material um so you don't have to yeah exactly really it really took a dive in this chapter um we're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna go through a bunch of texts and some of it we're gonna hate ourselves yeah some of it, it we're not gonna like we're gonna have we're gonna read some cataract surgery but guess what we're doing it so you don't have to yeah i'm, sh- I'm sure some of the stuff we read is gonna make me really miss this chapter <laughs> yeah um so yeah i'll just Try to be quick. All right. Um, <laughs> he quotes Engels again, saying basically the same thing as before, including the semi-famous line that a revolution is the most authoritarian thing there is. It's a good line. In that, quote, it is an act whereby one part of the population imposes its will upon the other part by means of rifles, bayonets, and cannon, all of which are highly authoritarian means. Okay, guys. Okay, anarchists. So, you know, if you believe in revolution, that must mean that you believe in, like, having a centralized dictatorship of the party over the proletariat. That Those are the same thing. Sounds like cope, Jamie. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sounds like cope. Okay. It's, okay. A, pretty, it's a pretty dope line. Uh, I mean, you, look. You, you, you got dunked on. I can respect the dopeness of the line, and he could still be wrong. But it's not. And disingenuous. He's being, I mean, all right. You have to admit he's being disingenuous, even if you don't think he's wrong. Who is he in this context? Lenin or Engels? Lenin quoting Engels. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I will not say that he was being disingenuous, and I will own that. Oh, my God. Wow. We do not agree. Um, So, yeah. And that's okay, folks. He finishes out the section by saying, yet again, that Engels and him are way different from the anarchists, and the Social Democrats are only pretending that they're anarchists because they are, these sock dems are opportunists who refuse to engage in serious discussion of revolution, and they want to dismiss all serious revolutionaries as anarchists. Uh, the implication being that nobody takes anarchists seriously, which seems like, you know, like that's assuming a lot. Yeah, it's definitely an opinion. That's not, that's not. It's just like your opinion, man. Like, I'm not sure if that's like, oh yeah, obviously we all, dis- we all think anarchists and not seriously. It's like, well, that's not really like, like a, uh, a claim that you can say that like everyone believes. Yeah, no. Clearly, anarchists don't think that. Yeah, no. I think it's a fine thing to be. Um, but, like, yeah, how is he not being disingenuous? Sorry to keep coming back to this. But, like, how is it not disingenuous to say, oh, we believe the same thing, actually, um, and not address the actual disagreements that they have? I think that is disingenuous. 
what I was saying before was specifically about the line from that we were, you were quoting from. Oh, uh, the the revolution. I think that is not a disingenuous line. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I misunderstood. Um, I mean, it's a good line. I'll give him that. But anyway, God, there's more. All right, there's fucking more. Yeah, you have one more section, and it's the letter that Lennon wrote. Uh, not Lennon. Uh, Engels wrote to to, to Bebel. All right. Here we go. Um, so, yeah, now we got a letter to Bebel. So, you know, can't can't forget old girl Bebel. So he was he, one of the other primary, uh, like you had Edward Bernstein, you had Carl Kotsky, and then you have also had August Bebel. That was the, um, I guess, that's the trifecta of the major reformist uh, Marxist in that period of time. Suck them. Suck it. Suck thems. Yeah, all part of the SPD, the Socialist party social democratic party of germany of germany that's right what is it what is it in german we don't speak german uh, so we don't know well actually i have it here oh what let me just pull it up give me a sec wow the i spoke too soon the social Demokratische party deutschland or wow. social democratic party of germany or hey with the german okay so now we got a letter to bebel from 1875 Written by Engels, and Lenin says it contains a remarkable observation on the state. Get a room. Yeah, he is a good hype man. I'll give him that. So in this letter, he critiques the same unity platform that Marx was critiquing in his now frequently cited letter to Brack, later published as Critique of the Gotha Program. In this letter, Engels writes, quote, That's a long quote. Uh, the free people's state has been transferred into the free state taken in its grammatical sense. A free state is one where the state is free in relation to its citizens. Hence a state with a despotic government. The whole talk about the state should be dropped, especially since the commune, which was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. The people's state has been thrown in our faces by the anarchists to the point of disgust. Oh, this is quote scare quotes. The people's state. Although already Marx's book against Proudhon and later the Communist Manifesto say plainly that with the introduction of the socialist order of society, the state dissolves of itself and disappears. As the state is only a transitional institution, which is used in the struggle, in the revolution, to hold down one's adversaries by force, it is sheer nonsense to talk of a free people state. So long as the proletariat still needs the state, it does not need it in the interests of freedom, but in order to hold down its adversaries. And as soon as it becomes possible to speak of freedom, the state as such ceases to exist. We would therefore propose replacing the state everywhere uh, by gem, Gemeinwesen, a good old German word, which can very well take the place of the French word commune. So basically... It really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? Yeah. We're going to call the workers' state a Gemeinwesen... Or commune or community instead, because it's so, so different from the thing it was replacing, which kind of begs the question to me, um, if this worker state is so great and so different from the thing from the bourgeois state, like, why is it even desirable for it to wither away? It sounds great. Yeah, it's a little, little kind of like that, like famous, famous line from Shakespeare, like from Romeo and Juliet is like, would, 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 a, would, a, would a rose be as like as. As, as fair if it was named something different. Mm-hmm. It's like, obvi- obvi- obviously, yes. Like, like It's like, you're not changing the content of what's going on. Yeah, it sounds like kind of 
semantics to me. Yeah. Honest, uh, honestly, like a lot of these arguments between Lennon and the anarchists, I'm like, you guys just got to hug it out, man. Like, you're, can can you both be right? I think you're both a little bit right. Um, but maybe... Maybe we'll change our minds. As Here we go. on everybody loves communism. We support bipartisan compromise between between Leninists and anarchists. It's true, we do. Um, so yeah, I also want to know why, if the workers' state is only necessary while you're actively at war, why the state stuck around for so long after the Bolsheviks won the uh, the military victory. But uh, again, maybe we'll go over that in a history episode and we find shall. out the reasons. So, we'll get to the bottom of this. Yeah, yeah, we will. Communist detectives, that's us. So uh, then he gets salty on the sock dems, which I'm generally fine with, uh, saying, quote, uh, what a howl about anarchism would be raised by the leading lights of present day Marxism, which is in big scare quotes, wow. which has been falsified for the convenience of the opportunists if such an amendment of the program were suggested to them. Let them howl. This will earn them the praises of the bourgeoisie, and we shall go on with our work. That's real high and mighty. It is. It really is. Uh, <laughs> He's giving himself all the credit. Give me a little Kanye vibes a bit. Yeah. Oh, my God. Totally. It's just like, and we're going to keep doing it no matter what. We're winning. <laughs> yeah. We're on top, and that's it. I win here. I win there. Fucking built on tiger blood. God. Remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Charlie Sheen. He was just channeling Lennon. Oh Lennon was the OG. The OG version of that guy. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I guess it's kind of um, an anarchist thing to do, really. Like, they have more in common than they think, where he just, like, comes up with a new word for this system of governance to differentiate it from the old form that they're smashing. But it's actually, like, it's still kind of a state a little bit. In some form or another. It's kind of like that meme. I'm not sure if you've seen like it. Like a different different it's, state. It's like it's like a meme. It's like people from like uh, King of the Hill. And it's like, it's like a bus. And they're like, is this the anarchist state? And it's like, no, it's not a state. And it's like a wall of text. And the meme is like, oh, this is it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, the anarchist state or non-state or whatever is like basically what Lenin claims to believe in here. Like the dictatorship of the proletariat. It just didn't uh, didn't really work out that way. But again, I think a lot of this is just like dudes with their egos on both sides. Both sides. So, yeah. There are bad, bad dudes on both sides. Yeah. He talks about, um, oh, how to choose the precise word, blah, blah, blah. Lennon notes that uh, Engels chose one of two German words for community. Of course, Germans have more than one word for fucking everything. They have like eight. Yeah. Um, this one means actually a network of communities, which is, you know, what the Soviet Union was supposed to be and what the anarchists wanted it to be, you know, kind of a federation of... Comrade, it definitely was. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, okay, okay. You know, just a federation of localized workers' councils. That's who That's who had control. Um, All republics in the USSR had equal rights and there was no Russian chauvinism. Yeah, none, none whatsoever. So, but then he says, oh, there's no such word in Russian. So um, Engels is like, maybe we'll just use the French word commune. Then he refers back to the Paris commune saying, quote, the commune was no longer a state in the proper sense of the word. Now, Lenin really likes this, obviously, writing, quote, 
This is the most theoretically important statement Engels makes. After what has been said above, the statement is perfectly clear. The commune was ceasing to be a state since it had to suppress not the majority of the population, but a minority, the exploiters. It had smashed the bourgeois state machine. In place of a special coercive force, the population itself came on the scene. All this was a departure from the state in the proper sense. And had the commune become firmly established, all traces of the state in it would have withered away of themselves. It would not have had to abolish the institutions of the state. They would have ceased to function as they ceased to have anything to do. So basically, he's saying that even this transitional worker state he's describing is so totally different from the bourgeois state, it shouldn't even be called the state. Uh, which again begs the question as to why, if that's the case, it's desirable for such a nice thing to wither away. Um, but whatever. I don't think we're going to figure that out right now. Uh, he also seems like he's kind of jumping the gun in declaring victory for the commune because... Weren't they all killed? They if, did, if you remember from they, our mini-theories? They did get killed. We talked about that very recently. And Is that a win? I I don't know about that. You know, if I'm going to say that the Soviet Union wasn't uh, successful, I'm not going to say that the Paris Commune was successful either. I think the Soviet Union was more successful than the Paris all, Commune. They all got killed, is the point. Like, they didn't really have time to, uh, to fuck it up or to degrade from within... Um, Cause, and, and also, like, it was a government at war for the entirety of its existence, and they knew they were probably doomed. So I'm not really sure what kind of withering could have been taking place there. I think it, I think it was ultimately a failure because it collapsed. And, um, but I think in a certain sense, it was a victory because there was worker management of society. Yeah. No, so, there were definitely some... Some small victories. Like, there's a reason we're still talking about it a right. hundred fucking years later. So, so I think that's they, what they Lenin did is some talking things. about. That's, that's why I think Lenin means by victory, if they, anything. They did some things. Um, but but I do want to say one thing. I want to I tease Lenin a little bit. Um, I, I find it quite funny that he's like, really wants to use the word commune, like in the French word, because, you know, for those that don't know, for... The majority of the time when Lenin, not the majority, almost the entirety of the time that Lenin was exiled from Russia, he lived in Switzerland and and was lived, you know, he lived a very cosmopolitan lifestyle and, you know, spoke French, went to fancy Swiss cafes and, you know, <laughs> was, worked as a, as a, you know, worked as a lawyer, you know, it's like, and, you know, kind of wrote the, read theory and like, you know, you know, and in, like learn English in Ireland, you know, it's kind of we're all, all, all over the place in terms of like that attitude. So, uh, mm, je suis Lenin, j'adore le commune. Yeah, yeah. So he's a little bit of a Francophile. Mm. But the, the reason I'm teasing is more in the sense that, like, you know, for someone who's so, you know, wor worker oriented, he's just mm. a, he's a little, little bit of a pamsy. Oh, shit. Oh, you said the magic letters. Now fucking Amy Therese is going to appear and uh, eat our souls. Well, she was not going to appear, but then you said their name. So if you if you say PMC three times in the mirror, it's like fucking Beetlejuice, you know, <laughs> like but, she just comes. But point is, I mean, like, I think it's clear that he was, but I mean, what do you think? What do you think? It's like a bad thing. Is is a different thing altogether? Yeah, like I don't give a shit about any of that. So whatever. Um, that's not the the disagreement that I have with him. Um, where was I going with this? Oh, yeah. It also feels like a weird argument to be making all of a sudden. Um, 
that is the the idea that because it was the majority suppressing the minority and therefore, you know, not really a state because it was barely even needed. Uh, feels like a weird argument to be making since we know that any attempt to overthrow capitalism is going to involve the suppression of a minority by the majority. But that doesn't mean it's going to be easy, right? Uh, okay. Also, doesn't really talk much about the workplace. And I think that's kind of an important thing when we're talking about, uh, you know, socialism, communism. To be fair, though, it, this is a text on the state specifically. Sure. But like the state's role in the workplace, I think, is totally undersold a little bit thus far. And the idea that people should be freed from any kind of compulsion to work, either by, you know, the market, the bosses or the state, that kind of falls by the wayside. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm mostly in this because work sucks and I don't think anyone should have to do it if they don't fucking want to. Um you know, you should be free to use your creative powers as as you as you wish. And I agree. And this is why we need to develop the productive forces. Fair enough. Fair enough. OK, so thank Bevel you for agreeing, Jamie. Thank you for agreeing with me and my, my and, and Deng Xiaoping. Thank you so much. The, the productive. Well, the point is the productive forces been developed. So I can agree with you on that. Um, and it doesn't really matter because that's in the fucking past. All right. So, uh. Bevel wrote back and he was like, yo, same. I totally agree with you, bro. Um, but, you know, Lennon says in other writings of his, Bebel was really super wrong on this question. Um, apparently saying, now he's quoting Bebel, the state must be transformed from one based on class rule into a people's state, end quote. And Lenin really did not like this, but honestly, it seems pretty similar to what Lenin has been arguing all along, but whatever. There might be context I'm missing. Maybe Bebel meant we got to transform it through voting and not through revolution. I don't really give a shit at this point. I'm going to pass it off to Jorge. All right, so... Turns out we've done it again, folks. We thought we were just going to do one episode, but now it's two. Yeah, it's going to be two. It's going to be a two-parter for chapter four, which is the longest chapter of this of of this book. So, part one was on section one that Jamie led very well, I think. Oh, thank and, you. And the next part, which will be the next episode, will be led by me about the second part of what Lenin said in chapter four, staying revolution. And before we go. Be sure to subscribe to the Patreon and Fans.fm at patreon.com slash everybody loves communism or fans.fm slash everybody loves communism to make sure to support the show and ensure that we're giving the high quality podcasts of leftist theory and history that you're listening to right now. And if you like what you heard, be sure to like, you know, be sure to be sure to give a high rating on the, on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Five stars, or if you feel so inclined, Give us a review on either of those apps or anywhere you find podcasts. That's right. Got to balance out all the fucking the libs who hate us. Yeah, there there, there was somebody who commented <laughs> that was a, there was this wonderful review, wonderful review that I I screenshotted and I put on the on and I tweeted it out that said, "Um, not everybody loves communism," <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, word, cool, dude." <laughs> 
<laughs> and he said, not he said, me. And he said, oh, there's this, ter- there's this book that's out there called The Black Book of Communism. <laughs> ever heard of it? I'm like, no, I've never heard of that book in my life ever. No. Wow. Maybe we should read that and educate ourselves. Ooh, yeah. We can, maybe we should have an episode on reading the bad reviews. Oh, that would be funny. I feel like people would probably like that. But anyway. But that doesn't mean that you should leave us a bad review. Or you know what would be funny, actually, is if we got a bunch of five-star reviews from people who really like us, but they were, like, writing mean things as, like, a way to make fun of the people who really don't like us. Ooh, that, I would... That would be a real, a real mind be, twister. I would be very upset if you did that. I would be so triggered if you did that. Yeah, yeah. I'm just... Oh, I'm, we're going to love it. But anyway, <laughs> till next time. Till next time. Do, do the, the reading. reading, but maybe not this chapter. <laughs> I'm really, really not a big fan of this chapter. You should read it because next part, it's worth it. All right. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Stay tuned.